Swim check one, two. Bike check one, two. Run check one, two. I think we're ready. Let's try this. Welcome to the Try Beginner's Luck podcast, a podcast where we explore the sport of triathlon from a variety of perspectives to help beginner triathletes on their journey. I am your host, Nashonda Shines. Happy New Year. Yes, yes, yes. We are in 2022. I know everyone is like, whew, we made it. Yes, we did. And Try Beginners Like It's in its second season. I could not be more thrilled. Yes, thrilled is my word for this season. Last season, it was excited. Every time I was like, I'm just so excited. I'm so excited. But this time I am thrilled, which is a little bit of a notch up from excited. Thank you so much to all of you who have been so supportive and listening to our first season. We're now in season two, so we're adding a component. Yes, we are going to add video for those of you who are out there in YouTube and want to see us. You can now do that. So I am just so grateful to be growing as I am literally still trying beginner's luck. I feel like I'm still learning how to edit, how to talk, just how to just be and thinking of ways to bring some amazing guests to you. Now, today, I have someone with me that I just kind of learned about within the last two to three years. I first started using this product and was like, oh, I have been doing triathlons for what, seven years? Started using this product within my sixth year. I'm now in my eighth year. So yeah, I've been using Training Peaks for now for two years. Training Peaks is what I'm talking about. And who knew you could get so compulsive with making sure that you get all green? Listen, if I get an orange or a yellow, I am like freaking out and better not get a red, okay? Because it's like, oh, we, you didn't do something correctly. But it's, it keeps me on target and it keeps so many of us athletes on target. And for those of you who are beginners, you about to find out everything you need to know about Training Peaks. But first, I get to bring up the co-founder and chief evangelist, I absolutely love that word, of Training Peaks. Training Peaks follows the philosophy that there is a right way to go about training, and that is deliberate practice. So today, I have none other than the co-founder and chief evangelist of Training Peaks. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yes, Training Peaks follows the philosophy that there is a right way to go about training, and that's deliberate practice. That starts with setting a goal, getting expert instruction, performing purposeful training, and lastly, getting immediate feedback. I don't know about you, but I absolutely love when I write a comment and my coach sends me immediate feedback because that helps me as I grow. I just want to go ahead and bring in Mr. Dirk Friel. Dirk, welcome to Try Beginner's Luck and Happy New Year. Hey, you too. Thanks a lot for having me on, Mashonda. Uh, happy New Year and uh, glad we made it this far. Come on. <laughs> it's been a tough couple of years, you know, but uh, it's all up from here. It has to be. It has to be. <laughs> well, one, I am just so grateful to have you. And again, like I said, I am thrilled, thrilled, thrilled. I remember my first time getting to talk to you was with USA Triathlon, the Diversity, Equity, Inclusion, and Access Summit. And I was a beginner with Training Peaks. And I was just like, mm. you created all of this. Thank you so <laughs> much. 
I've grown significantly using Training Peaks. And I just want to jump right in for those who are new to triathlons, they're thinking about starting um, their journey to triathlons. What is Training Peaks for those who may not know? Wow. Training Peaks is a whole lot of things, but really at the end of the day, we're, as you mentioned, we're about deliberate practice. You know, we want folks to get proper advice, proper expert instruction. Everybody deserves a coach is really, you know, our mantra. Um, so we service the coaches, help them build their businesses. Um, and we help athletes really grow within the sport, not only triathlon, but really any endurance sport. So I like to say we, we help track, analyze, and plan all aspects of your training and hopefully you're doing that with an expert and yeah and coaching you know and coaching services there's a, a wide variety of options out there from you know your basic training plan that might be free or twenty dollars for eight weeks um, all the way up to you know personal one-on-one -on -one coaching which will always be the best option um, so we kind of service a, a broad spectrum of, of coaching services um, on behalf of our coach customers i love that Track, analyze, and plan. Yep. Hmm, that's an acronym for TAP. We're helping you tap <laughs> into your best and greatest potential. I love it. Yeah. So how did you even think to come up with Training Peaks? Yeah, well, it wasn't too hard because it was an absolute necessity that I needed. <laughs> um, I was coaching in the mid-90s with my father, Joe Friel. So a lot of people might know his name. He's a pretty well-known author. He wrote the, the Triathletes Training Bible and Fast After 50 and Beginner's Triathlon Guide and Training with Power and all kinds of um, the Power Meter Handbook. Um, so he's probably got 15 books out there and many are in, you know, being updated all the time. So I was coaching with him. I was coaching cyclists. He was coaching really mainly triathletes, but also cyclists and runners. And, uh, you know, in the mid nineties, uh, the internet wasn't a huge thing yet. And so we were relying on the fax machine and email attachments. Wow. So for one client, you know, I might have an Excel spreadsheet. I might have their fax, you know, paper of, you know, their workouts and how they felt. And I might, they may have also emailed me a polar heart rate file or at that time, an SRM power meter dot SRM file. So I just had data fragmented all over the place for every single client. And I knew that, you know, this internet thing was, was, you know, had, has some benefits to it. So I envisioned having one kind of portal, if you will, you know, for the coach and athlete, and we could access all the data anytime from any computer in the world. And obviously back then nobody was using their phones to access the internet. You know, it was all through these big, huge desktop machines. Um, but I knew no matter, you know, if, if we could get to that point, it would really help us deliver a better quality service to our athletes. So it started out with an internal project in our coaching business. And that business at the time was called UltraFit. Um, and then that started in 1999. Um, I started with my father and a, 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 a best man at my wedding, actually. He was the only web developer I knew in the entire world. And so we basically stayed up late at night and you know he had a day job and I was still racing professionally and coaching. Um, and we kind of got it up and off the ground in, in 99, started using it in 2000 with about 30 clients of ours. And then 
quickly realized other coaches really wanted to use the same system. There was no other system out there at the time. So we started helping other coaches out, you know, and giving them access. They would pay us on the back end. And all of a sudden we now had a software business and we never even planned on building a software business. So we separated the books, got a separate bank account, separate LLC, you know, all of that. And really from that day forward, I spent more and more time on the training peak side of it. And I started to coach less and less. Um, and now I, I don't coach at all right now. I really look at myself as trying to help other coaches, you know, build their businesses and helping people achieve their potential. So in a nutshell, that's kind of how it started as just a, an immediate need that I had as a coach in 1999. Isn't that how all great businesses start? It starts with the need. You're fulfilling a need. And now you have dominant market share in this area because of your, for, your, your vision and that necessity that brought about it. So thank you so much for helping. I know myself and thousands upon thousands of athletes, you know, realize their potential and maximize it and exceed even their wildest expectations of what their coaches have set for them. So, yeah, well, thanks. I think it's like, you know, authenticity, um, authenticity really from the beginning and really from the beginning until today, we're doing the very same thing. Um, always have that focus on uh, expert instruction and coaching. So, and you know, what's funny is looking back, you know, there was no business plan. We didn't raise money, you know, it, we didn't have any debt. It was just sweat equity, which is, you know, fewer and fewer companies these days are built with, or if you think about software companies, you know, fewer and fewer software companies are being built with true sweat equity. Um, and when we saw a dollar come in, we would spend 80 cents and keep 20 cents for ourselves. And that was really the philosophy all the way through really up until today. It's really kind of the, the, the DNA um, that we're built on. So yeah, thank you so much. That sweat equity. I don't think anything can match sweat equity on any day. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, you, you, we're talking about it from a business perspective, but really, even if we translate that into, you know, athletics or just work, when you put in the sweat, it means a little something different and it, it, it holds a different set of values, you know, for you and you treat it differently. You value it differently. So I yeah. don't think anything can beat that sweat equity. Not a whole lot of waste, you know, along the way, right? <laughs> and my father also says, he says, do the least amount or the most specific training at the right time. And I think that was, you know, again, like relating that to business, it's kind of the same thing. When you don't have $20 million sitting in the bank, you know, waiting to be spent to build some dream, no, you have your sweat equity and you're doing the least amount and the most specific at the right time because you don't want to waste any moment. Um, so I think the two really relate, you know, in terms of smart training as well as smart business. My heart is full right now because <laughs> I really feel like I'm in that sweat equity mode, you know, like just doing it from the ground up, not knowing yeah. what I'm doing, just, Hey, right. I had this idea. Hey, Maria, will you help me? Hey, Sarah, will you help me? And, yeah. you know, you just start there. And so I'm, thank you. This is like, this is starting my new year off really good. It's just knowing <laughs> that 
you know, sometimes you have the resources to start it. And for, for those of them, for those who have that, cool. But for those who are just starting with that sweat equity, that's cool too, because you also too can be successful. So that's making my heart have all the warm and fuzzies today. Oh, yeah. My gosh. Awesome. Awesome. Okay. So you mentioned your dad and of course, the legacy that he has imprinted in the multi-sport space. But I want to even go back to the beginning. Tell me about your multi-sport journey and how did it even grow? Hmm. Wow. Well, I mean, yeah, yeah, I, if we can go down both paths, we know the business side of the multi-sport journey and then my own personal multi-sport kind of experience. And on the business side, certainly, you know, the triathlon was was growing in momentum. My father actually had a triathlon store in the eighties. And it was, as far as we know, it was the very first triathlon store ever. He actually had a running store. It was called foot of the Rockies in Fort Collins. And wow. next door was a bike shop. And he ended up buying the bike shop, tore down the wall in between. And he created foot of the Rockies, which is a triathlon store. And he brought in, you know, swim gear, et cetera. But it didn't survive, didn't last, it was ahead of its time. Um, but that passion was kind of within my family and my parents did triathlons. I started training for a triathlon when I was a teenager, but cycling is really, when I was about 13 years old, cycling is what really got me going. You know, I just loved riding the bike. Um, later on, I became a professional cyclist and I moved to Europe. I moved to Belgium when I was 19 and I stayed for five years. I basically dropped out of college and just, you know, moved to Europe and made a go of it. And I ended up um, being professional cyclist for 12 years. Um, I retired in 2002. And then in 2005, I still had quite a bit of fitness in me. And I had this one goal, which was a, a bucket list. And that was to do an Ironman. So I signed up without really telling anybody because my family, we had a trip to South Africa planned. And I thought, wow, it's, it was actually around Ironman South Africa. We were going for this business trip. We were, my father was speaking um, before the race. So I was like, wow, you know, what if I register and get in and don't really tell anybody and then kind of spring it on them? And I just didn't want to have all that extra pressure. You know, I just kind of wanted it to be an, a personal journey. So I registered, you know, got in, started training and, you know, finished it. And at my goal was to finish under 11 hours. And I did 10 hours and 45 minutes. I was super happy with it. Uh, I actually negative split the marathon. It was a three lap race on the marathon. And my last lap was the fastest by seven minutes. So I was kind of holding that back a lot throughout the race. Um, got through it, you know, totally fine. But as my dad says, I did two Ironmans in the same day. I did my first first and my last. <laughs> and really, you know, it wasn't because it was some horrible experience. It was literally like if you went to Africa and climbed Mount Kilimanjaro, that is like the mentality I had. Like I got to the top, I reached my goal and it just was released. And I don't really need to do that anymore. Um, but I'm really proud of having that experience. It taught me a lot about nutrition and pacing, which was not really a big part of cycling, pro cycling, you know, pacing is not really a part of being in a 200 man field, you know, racing 80 miles or whatever. So it gave me a new perspective and also perspective, you know, from a lot of triathletes we work with. Right. 
Um, so yeah, it was a great experience. I haven't done one since, and I'm still enjoying cycling and skiing and all kinds of other endurance sports. Or I just, I basically just don't, I, I run, but I really don't swim anymore. <laughs> wow. That is so much to unpack. You know, the <laughs> fact that your dad had one of the first triathlon stores just yeah. saying, Hey, we're going to make this happen. And you somehow tricking them on a family vacation and doing a triathlon. So I have to ask your dad didn't coach you. So did you have a triathlon coach to train for your first Ironman? I think my dad and I, we, we bounce a lot of ideas off each other. You know, we, we kind of self-experiment. So I certainly was working with my dad through that experience. Um, but it's funny. I only had three months. I really only trained three months for it. I had, you know, great fitness from cycling. The bike was going to be no problem at all. Um, the run, I just kind of, I, I didn't, you know, I didn't run more than two hours within a training session. I didn't, number one thing is I didn't want to get injured leading into the race. That was the number one thing, not showing up with any injuries and being fresh on the start line. Um, and so, but at that time we definitely believed a lot in strength training. So I spoke to my dad a lot about the strength training component and how that might help me, um, last within the marathon and not break down as much. So we worked a lot on the strength component. Um, and I just got in the pool and just swam. I just knew I, I just needed time in the water. <laughs> wow. So I definitely did, worked out a lot of ideas with my dad and we, we bounced ideas back and forth for sure. I love the fact that you guys bounced ideas and I'm surprised he didn't get a hunch that you were doing this. Well, I told him, you know, after I registered and then it was all planned out. So three months out, he knew, you know, okay. but it, it was kind of, you know, that's still for telling people you're doing Ironman. That's still a pretty short time frame. <laughs> oh, for sure. For sure. So because I'm curious and let me know if you can remember this, because you are this amazing pro cyclist, what was your bike time? And did you beat some of the oh. pros in the field that day on this, on the cycle? Yeah. I, I, I can't remember my exact bike time, but I have some funny stories. So I was obviously slow in the swim, but there was this pro triathlete from Boulder and I can't remember her name. But it was, it was funny. I, I saw her at registration and it was something, I said something like, I'll see you on the bike. And she's like, yeah, I'll see you on the run. <laughs> so that exactly played out. So she was way ahead of me in the swim. I caught her on the bike. I came into the bike like 20th or something, you know, overall, like just at the end of like the pro field. Um, and then I waddled out of transition. I was in transition by myself. I never envisioned that. Like I thought it'd be chaotic and everything, but it was like, everybody was focused on me. So it was like, Whoa, this is strange. And then I just like kind of walked out of transition and started the run, like barely running, just kind of jogging. Um, and then here she came, you know, probably only like two miles into it. You know, she patted me on the back. Cause like, see you later. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that's, that's how it went. But yeah, I definitely had, had a good bike experience. Um, it was a hilly course. It was very windy that Port Elizabeth is where the, it was held. And so it was very rough water that was scary. And the wind was, you know, if you weren't comfortable on the bike, 
Um, so for me, I wanted it to be windier. I wanted more hills. I wanted a very hard bike, which would give me a better, you know, advantage in the end. So yeah, that's how it played out. So it was funny. I absolutely love it. You're like, hey, I'll see you on the bike and then I'll see you yep. on the run. But I bet that yep. her patting you on your back kind of made you a little a bit upset. Like, seriously, check you pat me on my back. I know. Don't make it look so easy. <laughs> right. But that has, right. that's happened to all of us, right? We've all, there's always somebody better than you. So you have to have that humility because there's always someone faster than you. Absolutely. Absolutely. You mentioned something that was really key in comparison to being a cyclist, and that is pacing and nutrition. I think mm. that's important to, uh, to kind of differentiate and talk about that just a little bit, if you can. Pacing and nutrition. Well, obviously nutrition in triathlon, especially Ironman, the longer you go, you know, that's the fourth discipline nutrition becomes. So, you know, getting that nutrition plan down if you go too fast, the nutrition plan goes out the window, you know, your gut shuts down, you can't process, um, you know, osmolality is all messed up, you know, fluids are going the wrong way in the gut. <laughs> you know, if you overeat, that's where the problems in gut problems, you know, begin. So it's really that balance between maintaining a pace where you can maintain the fueling uh, nutrition strategy and that takes practice. I mean, I do that within a different sport I'm involved with, which is ski mountaineering, but you know, my longest race of the year is about six and a half hours. Um, so it, it's somewhat like a half Ironman, a little longer. Um, and I'm really trying to keep to a strategy of, you know, certain number of grams an hour. So, and if I, if I go, I know for me, like personally, if I'm not, you know, going over 150 heart rate an hour, that's too fast. That's too high of an intensity. My threshold is probably just below 160. Um, so I need to maintain more in the high 140s. That's personally myself. If I'm doing a six and a half hour race, I'm probably going to average about around 150 heart rate if I do it well. And that allows me to still maintain uh, my fueling um, strategy. But that takes practice. You got to do that. You know, I think at least once or twice a week, you know, almost year round, you need to have some emphasis, like a focused emphasis in the workout of this is my fueling strategy for today's workout. And, and, you know, see, you get, you just got to work it out through practice. I love that. I think that that is so smart. And, uh, the more you practice it, it's kind of like what you said, that deliberate practice. And what Training Peaks is founded on is like that deliberate practice to get down your feeling, to get down your pacing. That is yeah. so important. Yeah. Okay. This is where we get into, I think, more of the nuancing of who you are as a professional cyclist. Mm -hmm. And biking being one of those areas in which it's really hard because it's the longest discipline in a triathlon. What would you tell someone who's just beginning how to really make that crossover and becoming the best cyclist that they can be so that they can be the best triathlete they need to be? Yeah. Pacing is so, so, so important. Even in, I mean, I've been to 
maybe 14 Ironman Hawaii world championships, you know, obviously as a spectator and, and working at the event, but I like to go with my father to, it's, it's like mile three or four on the bike. And there's a, a little hill there that they go up. And it's amazing how many of the athletes are going way too hard. They're completely anaerobic, you know, and, and, you know, they really need to learn how to hold back early in the bike. And that's so hard to do. So I think the number one thing for learning, learning to have a better bike split is learning that pacing strategy. And unfortunately, heart rate is not a great gauge of that, especially the first 10 miles or so, you know, if, if, you know, your heart rate is still kind of catching up, if you will, I mean, 10 minutes into the bike, you know, your heart rate still kind of ramping up. Um, a power meter really is the best gauge. Um, the best pacing strategy would be to leverage a power meter and to sort of have a governor and say, I don't want to go over this, you know, this, this power value, um, and really kind of stick to the strategy. So in a way, using a power meter is kind of like cheating. You know, if you really can work it out with a coach, what the pacing plan should be on the bike, and you're sticking to that with a power meter, that means you'll exit the bike with plenty of energy to have a good run. You know, you, you don't, you're not out there to have the fastest bike possible. You're out there to get through the bike um, with a good balance of energy so that you can have a really good run off of the bike. So I, I think the number one thing is really pacing and not going out too hard or where, where you encounter hills, you know, not to go too hard on the hills. Um, and then once you get fairly proficient, you know, at the bike and you're figuring out the pacing, you know, then aerodynamics really starts to play a bigger, bigger role. You know, can you first stay in the aero position for that many hours? You know, that's, that's uh, a really hard thing to do. You know, you got to work on that in training. Um, and, you know, the shape of your helmet really doesn't matter until you can actually stay in the aero position for that many hours. You know, that's the number one thing. Can you stay in the position? And then after that, that start thinking about spending more money on the gear to take shave off, uh, you know, um, aerodynamic drag. So that's probably where I'd, I'd focus, you know, along the, with the new, nutrition strategy, you know, baked into all that. I think that it's so cool that you basically said heart rate isn't the best judge of character, especially in the first 10 miles, but having a power meter is, I want to, I would like for us to break that down just a little bit, Yeah, especially for those who perhaps might be heart rate training only because they can't afford a power meter. You know, yeah. these are beginners so how would you tell someone to adjust their heart rate? Because I'm sure being a cyclist, you have to know how to bring your heart rate down to kind of get into a zone. How would you tell them to kind of adjust their heart rate if they're trying to do it that way? Well, yeah, you know, if you go out hard, if you do a hard five minute effort, your heart is still ramping up. And so you won't feel that effect until later, you know, five minutes later is when you're really going to feel that, that, that first five minutes, 
because the heart rate was ramping up to catch up with the effort. But wattage is immediate. You would see that immediately. That's why I say the power meter is the best gauge of the intensity. Um, so really, I think, you know, going off RPE is probably like a better strategy. You need to always have a, more in the tank. You could be doing more. So, you know, if you're going out at a level six on a scale of one to 10, and you're keeping it at a five or six or less, even it's better to go out at a, at a, at a, on a scale of one to 10, it's better to go out at a level four than to go out at a level eight, <laughs> you know? So that internal pacing clock and internal kind of pacing rate of perceived exertion, um, becomes really, really important to train that. Um, and so, you know, if you can do more half Ironmans or, or, you know, to get gain experience, um, that would help a lot. So I think, yeah, heart rate is still catching up with the effort, you know, the first five or so minutes of, of the, of the race. So you really going out with that rate of perceived exertion and keeping it at a, at a level five and just really holding back and having a smile on your face. That's like a really good sign. <laughs> You're not struggling to talk. I love that. That whole smile on your face. I'm all about smiling on your face while you're running or you're working out or just racing. That makes a difference. However, you are just really dropping some serious gems here because I'm sitting up here like sitting at your feet like, seriously, is this real? <laughs> you mentioned something about five minutes. Like if you're going hard, one five minutes, it, it's a catch up type thing. So you yeah. may not feel it until five or 10 minutes down the road. What is that like and how can that be detrimental to a race, especially for someone who's just starting out? Yeah, well, you know, if you look at a power file, let, let's say the race is perfectly flat and straight and the same wind the entire race. Ideally, you would then want to have, you know, really the same pacing strategy throughout. Um, so the more you, you tap into your higher intensity levels and go into threshold and above threshold, you burn exponentially more energy. You're going to you're, you're going to strip your muscles of glycogen, store glycogen, right? Um, so ideally you want to maintain a, a kind of a steady fuel output throughout the race so that you can stay on top of refueling so that you can start the, the run, you know, strong. So again, the more you go into the red, the more spikes you have in the, you know, power file, the so much more energy is going to be wasted. Actual fuel in your muscles will be taken away that you could have leveraged later in the race. So having that smooth power output is really more about managing your fuel expenditure um, so going into the red has major consequences, um, to your, your pacing later in the race. Okay. So I want to tie in training peaks now. So how can the use of training peaks data help a beginner tie in their RPE, which is rate of perceived exertion to their heart rate? Yeah, well, on, a, on another little topic, if you had a power meter, you would be looking, I'm explaining variability index is really what I'm explaining. Okay. So the closer in there's a, it's VI is the, is the data field within training peaks. And the smoother you are, the closer that value is to 
1.0. So a race that's very close to 1.0 would be a better way to manage a race pace than having a really up and down race that's somewhere above 1.0. Um, so that's the technical terms when you're talking power meter. And it's really looking at normalized power versus average power is kind of what that's all doing. Um, but rate of perceived exertion versus heart rate, certainly I feel like rate of perceived exertion almost is somewhat more important, right? Because if you do encounter a short hill and the, the hill might only take you 90 seconds or two minutes, your heart rate will not reflect that effort until after you're over the hill, you're going downhill. And oftentimes you're going downhill and your heart rate's still going up. Even though you're coasting, your heart rate will still be going up because it's catching up with the effort you just did on that last hill. So therefore rate of perceived exertion is the better. If you don't have power still, even with power rate of perceived exertion is so important to hold back the reins, stay within your comfort zone, um, and not waste a whole lot of energy on that 90 second climb. Cause there might be 15 more of them coming up. If you're in, I think Ironman Wisconsin, you know, has a lot of little Hills like that. And that would be very detrimental to go above threshold for, every, you know, 50 times within a, an Ironman leg. Um, so that training of that internal pacing rate of perceived exertion, uh, is very, very important. And so working with the coach and going out and training and having the coach and review the file afterwards and, and showing you like here, you, you know, how did you feel here? This is what your heart rate did. This is what your power did. And this is uh, maybe where you went too hard. And so let's try and back that off. Um, that becomes really important. Wow. That is a perfect segue, but I just want to kind of recap for those of you who are listening to this, whether you are have been doing triathlons for years or are just getting into the sport, invest in a power meter. A power meter will help you, quote unquote, allow you to get an advantage. So if you if Santa didn't bring you one, <laughs> you know, for Christmas, it's a new year with new goals and a new opportunity to uh, get you a power meter and also training peaks, which will help you be able to analyze the data and be able to see where your strengths are, where you're expending too much energy. So those are two things on our 2022 list that we need to invest in. Okay. And I think they start around 400. I think, you know, the lower price ones probably around 400 or so dollars, you know, like one side, like you don't need right and left, just, you know, get one side left uh, power meter and that'll, that'll go a long ways. And then read a good book about it. Um, and, uh, and, and work with, a you don't even get a consultation with a coach. If you don't hire a coach full time, you know, spend an hour with a coach. And when you do maybe have a bunch, a couple of weeks worth of training data that you could actually sit down with a coach and they could go through it. And there's some big tidbits that I'm sure a qualified coach can give you some great, um, tips immediately by just looking at your training data. That's really good that you say, um, you are about to go into more descriptives about the power meter and to button this up. If a person can't get a dual power meter, it is completely okay to get a one-sided power meter. Absolutely. I mean, you're, you're going to have differences between right and left and you might say, well, it's not an absolute perfect measurement of what the watt is, but it's like 
you know, my home body scale is different than your home body scale, but I'm just using mine every day. You know, I'm not comparing my numbers to your numbers, right? So I, I know if my body scale says, you know, two pounds more, I, I can believe it. It's, it may not be exactly two pounds, but it's, it's more than I was yesterday, right? So when you're just comparing yourself and that's, we're not trying to compare against other people here, just like having consistent data. That's the other thing though, it needs to be consistent. So if the power meters, you do need to calibrate them depending on the power meter. You might need to calibrate it every day, but that only, that only takes you know five seconds to calibrate uh, a power meter. Some of them do it on the fly for you. Uh, so inquire about that because you do want um, it to be accurate day to day. And they do fluctuate with, with um, temperature. So that's another reason why you want to calibrate. I know we've gone down this rabbit hole about power meter and training, and <laughs> I hope that you're getting something from it. And I know... I have so many other more questions to ask, but I do believe just off of my experience, there is some value in making sure that you have a power meter because it will set you up for the greatest success, especially with the biking being the longest portion of any uh, triathlon distance, whether you're doing a sprint, you know, sprints use a different type of muscle. You know, you're, you're, it's, you're going at a faster pace. You're sprinting literally. And then you have the Olympic, you're using a different muscle there, but it's still kind of similar with uh, the sprint where you have to be able to be within that say, certain power range. And then when you get into the half distance, you get into more endurance. So you transition. So I think, you know, with the right measures and the right tools with the power meter, that will help to set you up for the greatest success. So whatever it is that your goals are for this year, be sure to start with uh, having a power meter and training. Piece. What I might also add, you know, a lot of people have experience with power without having a power meter outdoors. They might have an indoor training, you know, uh, you know, like a Wahoo or something where they're actually leveraging Watts and they're using Zwift and they're getting the concept and they actually have wattage indoors, um, but they may not have it outdoors. So that's a great way to kind of like learn about it. You know, and you, and you might, again, like do some testing to get the concept of, of pacing. You know, if you do your longer rides, you know, 90 minutes or two hours or however long they might be, you know, can you maintain a consistent pace throughout the entire workout? What was your first half average versus your second half average? And that's a concept known as decoupling. And, you know, when you have heart rate and power and at the longer you go at a particular power, you know, inevitably your heart rate will rise, um, you know, and so you start to bring, you start to look at different metrics and how they overlay with, with each other. Um, but the number one thing is, you know, can you maintain a consistent pace throughout your long rides, you know, your indoor rides, for example. I love, love, love that. Um, so if you have a bike trainer, you know, we just learned here, that's another way to at least start to begin to know how to ride with power and kind of get your rate of perceived exertion if you don't have a power meter to take it outside. So you kind of get a feel of what it feels like in that particular zone. You mentioned coaching and sitting down with coaching. I know that it is your passion and life's mission to make sure that people have access and deserve coaching. So let's talk a little bit about the coaching aspect and how having the right coach can take um, take you above average. Yeah. Well, first of all, I suggest, you know, if you're going to work with a coach, you know, interview several coaches, you know, it's, it's more than the knowledge base that you're quote, you know, hiring, 
but like how do you relate with that coach are you can you open up to that coach can you give them your true you know feelings of how you felt that day or if things are going you know you have a lot of stress in your life are you are you comfortable talking to your coach about that a lot of coaching is not just intervals and the prescribed workout it's everything in between the workouts you know a coach can help you set um, realistic goals they can help you set um, habits that will become a better you know a larger part of your life that will create um, not only just becoming a faster athlete but a healthier human being um, and so there's a lot of life management um, skills that go into becoming uh, a triathlete you know a successful triathlete so how do you manage work family triathlon you know that's all important stuff and it's it it influences your workout it influences your race so we can't ignore it so i think working one-on-one with the coach really becomes a very intimate kind of you know you're certainly not in a you know you know a, a real relationship like that but it's about opening up to somebody that you can trust um that can help you through a lot of tough situations um, so a lot of times they kind of become psychologists as, as well, you know, and oftentimes your spouse could care less about your workout, right? Like, <laughs> but, you know, kid, you know, you're looking forward to talking about your workout, you know, with your coach. Um, so yeah, a, a really good coach, it's more than just the interval of the day there. And then they can adjust on the fly. You know, they know that you're having a lot of stress and without you knowing it, they might go into your future workouts and, and ratchet them back a bit, lower the volume. They just know you're going through some tough times. And so they can ease that off for you. But as well as they know when you're ready to do some more suffering, you know, and things are going well, and they can ratchet it up as well at the right time. So that's where a training plan doesn't really hit the mark. You know, a training plan is kind of the middle of the bell curve. So half the people, it might be fine for and half people it's not great for but a training plan is a great way to get some some basic structure and some really good tips and some great workout ideas and it might be perfect for you i think the earlier you are in your career um, the better training plan is because consistency is number one just get yourself out the door is the number one goal but as you progress um, that's where personal training and a personal coach um, can make a, a lot of impact. And you might be just having the same recurring um, issues, but you don't know the underlying reason for it, but a coach might be able to get right to it. That is so good. And I want to ask you for those who might be listening, a little nervous about interviewing coaches because they don't know what to necessarily ask them, what would you yeah. say would be the top three or five things they need to ask that coach? Oh, probably get out, you know, what's their communication style? Do they, how do they prefer to communicate? How often do they like to communicate? Um, so obviously I'm talking here about, you know, like premium one-on-one coaching. Um, are the, how, so how often would, can you communicate with your coach? Um, how do they prefer to communicate? Can you text them? Um, and how often do they review your workouts? How often do they plan your workouts? Um, you might even 
ask for referrals, you know, or know of other athletes that they've worked with and go interview those athletes and, and find out what experience they had with those coaches. I think, you know, a good coach really, you know, they need to stick to their word, you know, whatever they promise they need to follow through with. So if, if you're, if your race is this Sunday and the coach says, I'm going to call you Sunday night, you know, they better darn call you Sunday night, you know, to find out how it went. You know, I'm not saying every, not every um, coaching service includes that though. So you need to decide, well, what level service am I looking for? Um, am I willing to pay for? And then um, does that coach actually follow through and give that level of service, you know, that I'm paying for? Um, so yeah, I think interviewing past clients is a, is a really good way to go. And, uh, kind of, I think communication styles is, is, is really key as well. The coach may know a whole lot, but maybe you just, you guys just don't really hit, hit it off. You know, you want a coach that you're looking forward to, to talking to. Right. That makes so much sense. And I never thought about interviewing their their actual clients and seeing, getting their opinion about how and what they like about that particular coach. I think that's really, um, if they would divulge that information or if you can figure it out and find it out, I think that would be a very smart way to go. So there's a yeah. couple of different things that you guys can do to ask these questions, make sure you get them done. But I do want to just maybe piggyback on what Dirk is saying. Having a coach outside of a team environment can truly take your particular skill set to a new level. One thing about triathlon and being in this space is that we don't get comfortable with where we are. We are always constantly trying to improve. And so if that's you and you've never had an opportunity to get a coach, this is the year. Start your year off with a coach, go to Training Peaks, find a plan or they have a, I think on there where you can identify coaches. If you need to understand a coach, interview that coach or use Google search for triathlon coaches or go to USA triathlon and look at their, find a coach program or find a coach um, section to find somebody that will be good for you so that you can take your skills to the next level and just start to understand your data, understand how your body operates and works and, that's the best way. And it's good to be in a team environment, but also you want that specialized uh, information so that you can kind of dial in on the things that you need to do so that it can take you to the next level. That was a lot of use. Yeah, but, we have a, yeah. yeah, we have the coach match service within training peaks. So you yeah. can fill out, you know, the questionnaire and we have human beings that review those. We have human beings that actually will pair you um, and then we will give you, you know, three options and we invite you to interview and, and set up a phone call with each coach and then make a decision. Um, but if you're not happy with that first decision, we're happy to help you find another one. Um, so yeah, that's, we have a three person team that that's all they do is help athletes find the right coach. Wow. We've talked a lot today. We talked about how you got your start. We talked about you being um, a cyclist having a one and done first and last Ironman experience. And we talked about power and getting a power meter, but most importantly, we talked about coaching and that's what it's all about. 
Thank you so much. I just want to brag on you a little bit because I want people to know that you're still out here racing in real life and doing big things. And then we have our fun part of our segment called Rapid Fire. So after I brag on you a bit, we'll get into our rapid choir. Yep. You're not prepared for it. So that's going to be. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Okay. So. Mr. Dirk Frill, who is the son of Mr. Joe Frill, of all of the triathlon books, um, he comes from a great legacy, but he has his own legacy. He is uh, a, he was a pro cyclist. Mm-hmm. He was the 2017 Business Person of the Year out in Boulder, Colorado, doing big things. But he's still competing, y'all. He is still out there tearing up the, the what is it, the, the gravel. He's still out there cycling. Um, he won the Steamboat Masters 100 yes. mile race. Mm-hmm. Yes, 100 <laughs> mile race. He's also two-time national champion in what they call Schemo, Ski Mountaineering. So he is still holding that championship title. Dirk is still out here using training peaks himself. So Mm. why shouldn't you? Come on. This man has done amazing things and he's still using training peaks. I'm still using training peaks and I'm I'm still a beginner, I feel like. But we all can be continuously improving ourselves and trying new sports. Who's to say that multi-sport isn't going out and maybe doing cyclocross? or going out and doing gravel biking or going out and doing endurance swims of five miles. There is so much that you can do. And I just wanted to kind of introduce you to Training Peaks because that's a platform that can help you conquer all of your goals. So thank you so much, Dirk, for being here with us. Yeah. Now we're getting to our rapid fire questions. I have to be kind of... different with these rapid fire questions because you are a unique uh, guest today. So not our typical multi-sport athlete that's constantly in multi-sport. However, still, nonetheless, you're helping a lot of us multi-sport athletes conquer big things. So first question. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, I cracked myself up. First question is, out of swimming, ski mountaineering, and running, which would you say is your least favorite? Oh, uh, swimming. Okay. That's good. <laughs> Going back to your cycling days, what was your favorite post-race celebration ritual? Wow. Uh, probably just a big pizza. That's probably what I look forward to the most after really big races. And I think the, that brings back a strange memory. There was always a really hard race in, in New Mexico called the tour of the Gila and it was one of the hardest races and we'd finish Sunday and then we'd have to drive all the way back from Silver City, New Mexico to Boulder and it takes like 12 hours and we would just eat like Big Macs and Pringles and that was the only 
day, the only time the entire season I would have either. It was like Big Macs and like entire box of whatever cylinder of Pringles. And that, that was very enjoyable. Um, that was the only time I would do it in the entire season. <laughs> okay. I love that. So now we're going back into cycling, whether it's your first Ironman or just cycling in general, because if you're doing a hundred miles on the bike, I'm sure time is important and time is of the yeah. essence. So do you pee on the bike or do you get off and take a proper pee break? <laughs> proper, definitely only unless <laughs> only, and it doesn't even happen anymore. It's just when I was racing professionally. You know, you see the Tour de France guys do it. You know, they're on TV peeing and hopefully the cameraman turns away when they realize it. Um, but just in pro bike racing, you know, is like the only time that that would occur. That little mischief is smile on your face tells me something else. Because the way you had to preface that, I was like, he ain't telling us stuff. I'm just thinking back to like, yeah, those cold days in Belgium where it really didn't matter. It was just cold, rainy, nasty cobblestones. You're racing through muck and cow poo and everything. And sometimes just peeing in your shorts was enjoyable because it was warm. <laughs> <laughs> and that's how hard bike racing is in Belgium. Yes, that is like an enjoyable moment. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I'm not sure if I can come back and ask any other questions after that, especially <laughs> having an enjoyable moment being when you pee on the bike out in Belgium. I love it. <laughs> so speaking of Belgium, where is your favorite place to cycle? Oh, wow. I love Italy. I love the Alps. I mean, in Italy, it's Tuscany um, around Lucca. Italy and then the Alps just really anywhere up in the Alps, you know, is, is, is incredible. So those are probably my favorite places outside the United States. Wow. Okay. This other question, um, I know you probably never realized that you would have such a thumbprint in the fabric of the multi-sport space or for that point any athletic space that uses training peaks what is your proudest moment um being the chief evangelist at training peaks cool it's well i mean to, to be honest like when i'm it, unfortunately being a software company you don't get to see your customers come through the front door you know they're you know that's the downside of having a software company is not being able to interact with your customers really on a daily basis other than through support. <laughs> um, but when I get out to the races and you, you have a booth, you have a tent or you run into people, you know, just having that experience and that, that those folks that say, Hey, thanks. I've been using turning peaks, you know, like yourself for however many years and they accomplished their goals, you know, and that's really, the proudest moments, which, which are amazing. Um, and I'd love to have more of them and to get out to the races is really where that happens and you get to meet your customers. So those, those are the hands down, the proudest moments I'd say, you know, and it, and it really is more proud to help kind of the beginners too, because it means more to them. You know, a professional cyclist is told what to do. They're told to use training peaks, you know, and, 
oftentimes it's it you know there it, it's not like something that they really gravitate or seek out um but when you really help someone and they've come to you and looking for help and you paired them with a coach and help them reach their goals and you find out about it that's that's definitely proudest moments uh and because i know this from previous conversations that we've had i know you're a big music buff and so am i oh so who is your favorite artist music artist Ooh. oh man well throughout my life i've always always just loved reggae so i always have to say i guess um, bob marley what <laughs> uh, okay yeah <laughs> favorite bob marley song i love brown sugar oh uh, <laughs> um so yeah just love that vibe you know and i started learning the bass a bit you know just to play a little bit you know some of the songs um so yeah i guess that's that and i love the blues like uh buddy guy i got to meet a couple years ago in his bar in chicago he's one of the last remaining you know blues legends um love going to blues bars in new york city and yeah, so we don't have that in Colorado. So I, I love when I get a chance to go to a good blues blues club. So it sounds like to me you have you like soul and rhythm. I love it. Yeah, okay. absolutely, definitely. The good, you know, Rolling Stones have their DNA in in the blues. You know, and the Stones have a good blues album. I can't remember the name of it, but you know, just it, it just doesn't come across as like the Stones. You know, um, right. so I love that that style. And when you're out training currently, are you listening to music, podcast, or just silence, just letting the workout take you away? I say most of the time silence, just when I'm out training on the bike, uh, just for safety reasons, really, number one, I don't feel comfortable, you know, not knowing what's coming up from behind or hearing, you know, so, um, but when I do run, hike, um, sometimes, you know, ski, you know, I'll, a lot of times I listen to podcasts. So absolutely. I think, especially like in the car, in the car, it's probably 50, 50, you know, podcasts or, or, or music. And what's your newest podcast that you're adding to your rotation? <laughs> uh, well, I love this week in startups. I just love the startup culture I'm, I've been a mentor for startups in um, Techstars is an incubator and they have a sports um, incubator in Indianapolis. So I've been a mentor for Techstars Indianapolis. So I love um, this week in startups with Jason Calacanis. Um, and it's kind of like the news of the day, like the tech news of the day as well, which is really cool. Um, and then on the fitness side, I've, I've I recently been listening, catching up on Fast Talk Labs they're here in Boulder. Um, uh, they've had a lot of great guests and they're very, you know, science oriented, um, for cyclists. So a lot, they have a lot of great advice and a lot of great guests on fast talk labs. Well, what I was wanting you to say was that you're adding try beginners luck to your podcast yes. list. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I listened to a Rick, uh, Rocky, uh, USA triathlon, uh, CEO. So, uh, that was the last one I listened to. Well, awesome. I'm so glad. So you have a couple of more to catch up and then, um, 
I, I love it. So thank you for listening. Thank you so much for listening. <laughs> and thank you so much for being here at Try Beginners Luck. You know, whenever you try beginners luck, you always win. Yes, this is season two. We're kicking off season two, but I'm still trying beginners luck. And I hope that you will keep trying with me on this journey. I'm Ashonda and I'm out. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for tuning in and listening to this episode. We need your help so we can continue to try at TBL. So for more information on where you can find and subscribe to this podcast, visit www.trybeginnersluck.com. And don't forget, whenever you try beginner's luck, you always win.